Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church. So thankful that you're with us today. If this is your first time, we're delighted to have you. Uh, you are our guest, and we want to make you feel special. We want to help you in any way that, that we can. We would ask that if this is your first time with us, if you would uh, open up the bulletin, there's a, a place for you to tear off, fill out some information about yourself, tear that off, and there's a box out there uh, in the foyer. Uh, we would love for you to, uh, to, to put that in there, please, so we could have a record of your visit and hopefully get to know you better. Well, yesterday, yesterday was, was an exciting, exciting day uh, for Northside. We got to serve uh, in a couple different ways. Uh, one, we had, what, 31? Was it 31 people that went um, for Operation Christmas Child and got to pack some shoe boxes? We took 161 boxes and dropped them off. So thank you all for... Uh, for being faithful to do that um, and so we get free t-shirts and so we all decided hey let's wear our t-shirts today and as the pastor I can't be not, not be the only one to not wear it so I get to preach in jeans and a t-shirt uh, we should have days like that more often uh, I kind of like it so but man that was exciting to be able to go and if you've never done that uh, I want to encourage you when we do this next year to try to get to go I know something's complicated that this year uh, you know with the virus and the way they were doing things a little bit different, maybe you felt like you couldn't go, but it is an amazing time, and I would encourage you uh, to do that. We also had a chance yesterday in the morning to serve um, a couple moms through Christmas in Coweta. You guys blew me away with how quickly you took those tags off of the wall. They were all gone the same day that we began to, to announce that. We had about a dozen uh, people up here yesterday helping uh, these moms rap and, and loving on them. And, and God just did some amazing things through that. Uh, one of the moms uh, that we were able to minister to is, is battling cancer. Um, and so God just sovereignly worked it out to where Dee Dee was here and was able to kind of pour into her. And I believe it's the same kind of cancer that Dee Dee had. And, so and we didn't know that. Uh, that was just something that once she was assigned to us, God worked through. And so we were able to pour into her. And then I was able to meet the second mom and just so grateful, so thankful uh, just a lot of stuff going on in their life that just were preventing them from, from being able to do that. And, and one of the moms was just amazed that she actually herself got some Christmas presents. She wasn't expecting that at all. And so we were able to bless them. And so thank you to those of you who were able to come and just love on them and help wrap. Um, and that's exciting. And, and we are the hands and feet of Christ. And so we get to be the body of Christ. So thank you for serving. One other way that we get to serve is through our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. You'll notice on the front of your bulletin uh, that the IMB goal is 175 million. Now our goal is 7,000, but the IMB goal is 175 million. And the reason for that is because in 1845, the Foreign Mission Board was formed. So 1845, right, to where we are now, 2020, that's 175 years that Southern Baptist I've been working together, right, to take the gospel to, to the foreign land. So 175 years. So therefore, our goal is 175 million. Then I saw one pastor tweet this. The Lottie Moon Christmas offering for foreign missions is set at 175 million. If 25%, only 25%, of our SBC members gave $100, so 25% of us gave just $100, we would receive $400 million. I think last year, nearly 50% of Southern Baptist churches did not even give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Uh, so my prayer is that God would just continue to convict His church, those of us who, who work with Southern Baptist churches, that He would convict us to, to be more focused on international missions and that He would lead you to give sacrificially this Christmas season. Our video this morning is going to focus on uh, reaching the hard to reach. So check this out and then we'll go into our Advent. We have certain stories in the New Testament like the parable of the lost sheep where you leave 99 to go find the one. And so God doesn't forsake that one lost sheep. You have these small micro people groups where the gospel has not flowed yet because of geography, because of distance, because of cost, because of uh, culture, because of racism. I really feel that these micro peoples are part of his heart to go after all the sheep, to go after that remnant. 
the Amazon, you can go a day without seeing another living soul, which is kind of freaky. But a lot of the reason why you can't see people is because they're hidden. These are hidden peoples, small in population, widely dispersed. They have centuries of a bloody history where they've been exploited. They're animists. They believe in spirits. When you live that way, you tend to be dominated by fear. I see marginalized people. I see forgotten people. I see invisible people that are in desperate need of the gospel. The area is massive, and so to get from where I live, which is already a jungle city, I have to get into a land plane and fly to another port city, and then the next day we'd get in a boat, and in this slow boat we travel sometimes three days to get to where we're going. Because we're going into areas where the gospel is not, sometimes it just takes time. But recently we have noticed just God opening some doors. God has been working to send out missionaries, indigenous men and women, where there's no evangelical presence. A well-trained and called indigenous man will be much more effective. They tend to be able to get into hard-reach areas without government restrictions. You have fewer language limitations. A lot of my work is training them. So if I want to teach an indigenous man how to do storying, he has to see me do it first. Then after a while of walking alongside, he's very capable at that point. One partner in particular, he wants to go work with a group that has killed outsiders that have walked in. He's like, I don't care. God sent me to go do it. And this is such a, a 180 from most indigenous culture that you have to look at him and say, God brought this change to this man. You see families coming to Christ. You do see village headmans getting permission to come in. It really confirms everything that we're out there to do, to go out and make disciples of all nations. When we have those things happen, we sit back and go, okay, this is what it's all about. They can go and they can teach others, and those people can teach others. I want to see this momentum like a wave through the jungle where I can say, look, I didn't see it happen. I wasn't there, but I know the gospel has reached these dark corners. When supporters of the Lottie Moon Christmas offering gives, it allows us to do things like buy an outboard motor that gets us upriver, to get equipment that we need to help us stay out there in the jungle. I've been supported by Lottie Moon. Y'all's generosity is, is a luxury that I never want to take for granted. So I want to say thank you for that. God is faithful in the hard times as he is in the good times, and our mandate doesn't change. These people groups in the jungle, you could be born, live, and die without ever hearing the name of our Savior. So someone has to go, because if we don't go, no one's going to go. If we don't train people to go, no one's going to go. It's worth it. Yes, indeed. Thank you for giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Uh, you see the tree over here, we have nine bows on the, on the tree. Each bow represents $280 that's been given. And so you see our goal uh, there is 7,000. So we want to cover up that, uh, that, that tree with all of the bows, um, hopefully by the end of the year, if not before Christmas. But uh, thank you for giving, church. As we look at our Advent season, so far this Advent season we've looked forward with expectant hope at finding peace. Now as believers, our hope and peace is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And today we consider joy. Of all of the loss that's been 2020, I mean, loss of high school prom, uh, spring sporting events and graduation, Loss of summer activities, family gatherings, birthday parties. Loss of confidence in the government and trust in the media. Loss of the sanctity of human life. Perhaps the one that strikes the hardest is a loss of joy. For you see, if our joy is rooted in the things of this world, then when those things are taken away, well, so is our joy taken away. But it's not just the world that's experienced loss. We in the church have experienced loss as well. Loss of true fellowship among believers. Loss of the ability to listen to and empathize with one another. Loss of purpose and drive to fulfill the Great Commission. Loss of focus on the gospel. I submit to you that of all of the organizations in the world, the church should be the one that's full of joy. James says... 
Consider it a great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Consider trials a great joy? Really, James? Yeah, that's, that's what the man said. You see, joy is an especially peculiar thing, and unlike happiness, joy is not manufactured. Man can labor and toil for happiness, and if he makes the right moves, plays his cards right, or if everything goes according to plan, he may very well attain happiness. A happy home, a happy marriage, a happy life. But if 2020 has taught us anything, it's rarely, if ever, do things go according to plan. But thankfully, joy is different. Joy can happen anywhere, anytime, even under the most unpromising circumstances. It can be found in the midst of suffering, with tear-stained cheeks. Joy can be a baby boy that has to sleep in an animal food trough, or a sinless savior nailed to a tree. So church, let's remember our joy. Let's find it in Jesus and together proclaim joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Father, thank you for my joy. Thank you for Jesus. Lord, I am grateful for all of the wonderful things that this world has to offer. But Lord, that is not who we come to worship this morning. We don't come to celebrate just the things of this world, the created things, but Lord, we come to celebrate and to worship and to honor the very creator himself. Father, as we experience this Christmas time together, this Advent, I pray that we capture our joy in focusing on Jesus Christ. And as the author of Hebrews said, let our focus be on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. So Father, may we celebrate today with expectant joy and go and tell the world that where they too may find joy. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Stand again. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive a king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. And heaven and heaven and nature sing joy to the earth the savior reigns let men their songs employ while fields and floods rocks hills and plains repeat the sounding joy repeat the sounding joy repeat repeat the sounding And sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings now. For as a curse is found, for as a curse is found, for as, for as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace. And make the nations through His righteousness and wonders of His love, and wonders of His love, and wonders and wonders of His love. Thank you. you may be seated.
child is born and the government shall be upon his shoulders his name shall be called wonderful counselor almighty god everlasting father and of his reign there'll be
stand again as we continue singing. Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. Last week we looked at verse 21 and then looked at a lot of Old Testament scriptures as well as we're in a short series called The Name Above All Names. We're going to read verse 21 and then we're going to focus this morning on verse 23. Beginning in verse 21. This is the the story of how the birth of Christ took place. It says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You may be seated. So last week at the beginning of the sermon, we just talked about the importance of names and how most of us have a first name, a last name. Uh, All of us have a first name and a last name. Some of us have a middle name. We have nicknames. And we talked about how God has many names. And when we consider the Son of God, He too has a name. And we know the name given to Him was the name Jesus. And we talked about that last week, that He would be the one who would save us from our sins. But we also see here in our text that He's given another name. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. As I was studying this week, I immediately began to notice, and it's not the first time I've noticed this, that some people spell Emmanuel with an I, and some it's with an E. We sang Emmanuel, just about Emmanuel, and it was spelled with an E. The ESV spells it with an I, and I always wondered who's wrong. Somebody's spelling this wrong, right? Well, in fact, it's based upon the, the language that you're translating it from. So if it's spelled with an I, they are translating that from the Hebrew word. Emmanuel, right, which means with us. El means God, God with us. Therefore, they write it with an I. If you're translating it from the Greek, you would, you would spell it with an E because it looks most like that Greek word for Emmanuel, which means God with us. It occurs, this word Emmanuel, three times in the scripture. One here in Matthew chapter one, the other two times are in Isaiah. And that's significant. It's significant, right? At the beginning of the New Testament, we read 
about this man named Jesus, the God-man, Jesus, who would save us from our sins, and he is also Emmanuel, God with us. The one who would save us from our sins is, in fact, God who is with us. One author wrote, Jesus specifies what he does, God saves. Emmanuel specifies who he is, God with us. The God who saves is the God who is with us. And so I want you to notice, before we come back to the significance of God with us, I want you to notice that the Old Testament repeatedly promises that God is present with his people. So when we read this language that God is Emmanuel, God with us, the Old Testament repeatedly promises that God is with us. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, right? We learned there that in the Garden of Eden, God walked with his people. He walked with Adam and Eve. He was walking with them. They were in the presence of God. That is until they sinned and rebelled, and then God removed them from the garden, thereby removing them from his presence. In Exodus 13, 21, after God delivers the people from Egypt, we read that God manifested his presence by leading them with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In Exodus 25, verse 8, God commands Moses to construct a tabernacle. He says, so that God may dwell in your midst. Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, Moses has died. This great leader, Joshua, is to follow him. And God gives uh, Joshua some promises. Verse 5 says this, Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. We know Psalm 23, verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. And this was a promise. David believed this, that God would be with him. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 25, those three boys are thrown into the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we read this, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered the king, yes, there was three. The king says, I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Three men were thrown in, but they see a fourth, right? That has to be the presence of God. God is with them keeping them safe. Isaiah 43 verse 2 says this, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 6. I have not preached very many sermons from the book of 2 Chronicles. In fact, the only sermons I think I preach from 2 Chronicles comes from 2 Chronicles Chapter 7, verse 14. Like the one verse we all know of my people who are called by my name. You're like, oh yeah, I know that verse. But as on Monday, as I was reading just through my quiet time, it, I was in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. And I knew that I was going to be preaching on Emmanuel, God with us. And so I was reading through verse or chapter 6 of 2 Chronicles. I just want to share a couple things here. And then we're going we're gonna to use this to segue us back into Matthew chapter 1. But look at verse 18. This hit me. And I underlined it. But will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? The context here is Solomon, who has just completed the temple that is built unto God. He is offering up a prayer of dedication. And in this prayer, he is, he is saying, but will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? This is the question for us. Can God, who is holy and righteous, dwell with man? Can we live in the presence of God? We are continually promised that God will be with us. But can we? Can God indeed dwell with man on the earth? Look at verse 36. If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. And herein lies the problem. God is holy and righteous and just. And we, Scripture tells us, we're sinners, we're wretched, we're disobedient. And this is what God says to Moses. You remember this? He said to Moses, Moses, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. That doesn't bode well for us, church. If we cannot see God and live because of our sin, how then can we dwell in the presence of God? 
Like this is a conundrum for us. Our sin prevents us from living in the presence of God. And we just see that all have sinned. So the phrase, God with us, ought to strike us with fear. Like, God with you is something that would have terrified them in the Old Testament. And in fact, we're going to see a glimpse of this when you go to chapter 7, verse 1. It says, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, he's done with the prayer of dedication. What happens as soon as he finishes? Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. Notice, the burnt offering, the sacrifices are there. The fire doesn't initiate with the priest. It comes from heaven. It falls down. Just literally, they're there. The fire falls down from heaven. It consumes the sacrifices. And look what it says. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Now we know that God is all present. So when it talks about the glory filling the temple, when it talked about the presence of God being there in the Holy of Holies, it wasn't God was in the Holy of Holies, therefore he was nowhere else. God is all present. And in this moment, it is simply the Shekinah glory that fills the temple. And look at this. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The ESV Study Bible, commenting on these verses, writes this The chronicler is acutely aware of Israel's sinfulness knowing that it is this sinfulness that will lead them and will result in exile. But against this bleak fact, he highlights Yahweh's undeserved restorative mercy and forgiveness towards his people, for which the, for which the temple is the visible symbol. And it goes on to say this, Ultimately, salvation will, not, will come not through a material building, but through the one whom the temple foreshadows. I believe with all of my heart that when I die, I'm going to see God. And not only am I going to see God, but I'm going to see Him and live. And then I'm going to live with Him forever. How? How can I be so confident of that when, when the glory of the Lord fills the temple... A temple that only the high priest could enter, or into the Holy of Holies. Not anyone could just walk into the presence of God. So how can we go from seeing people filled with fear of the presence of God to my standing here saying, I believe that I will not only see Him, but that I will see Him and live. And the answer is Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. This is the significance of the phrase, God with us. So notice three things, just very simply this morning. Notice number one, God with us. Right? Quoting from the Old Testament, verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him. This son shall be called Emmanuel. That word Emmanuel means or is translated God with us. This is speaking of the nearness of God. This is speaking of the incarnation. This is speaking of God in the flesh. We just sang, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Right? There was a time when you were separated from God. You were alienated from God. You were cut off from God. You were without Him and you were without hope. I would expect this text to say, God is against you. Because of your sin, He stands against you. And yet what we read is God is with us. And he is with us in Jesus. We talked last week about how Jesus was the God-man, fully God, fully man. God comes in the person of Jesus. And he is born, yes, as this cute little baby that would have, would have cried and would have done what babies do. But understand, we don't worship just this baby in a manger because he will grow up to be the sinless Man, the Son of God, sinless man, who will die on a cross as my substitute. 
God with us doesn't really mean a whole lot unless Jesus Christ is going to die for us. Jesus is our substitute. His death atones for our sin. One author writes, God with us is only good news if God comes to atone for our sin. Look, I don't want God with me if I have to answer for my sin, because I will not live. I will be cast into hell forever. But God with me is good news if Jesus Christ is the sinless Son of God who died on a cross for my sins. Here's what we have. We have unrighteous men, that's me, and a righteous God. And when God says Moses cannot see his face and live, it's because Moses is unrighteous and God is righteous. And sin cannot be in the presence of God. So how is that solved? How is that resolved? Well, here's how it's resolved. When you have God becoming a man. God with us. This man Jesus living a perfect life that you and I could not live. I can't go one day being perfect. Jesus lived his entire life perfect. And that perfected life leads him to the cross where he's nailed to that tree on my behalf. He's my substitute. And when he's nailed to that tree, my sin is given to him. And his righteousness is given to me. So my hope of standing in the presence of God is not Aaron Hornsby, but it is the blood and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. God with us. God is with us because he sent Jesus to give his life for us. Trevin Wax writes, he washed away our sin so he could welcome us into his presence. Now hear me, this is important. God does not come to dwell with us because you are good. That's what we teach our kids to believe when we sing about Santa Claus, right? Now you better be good because he's watching. He knows if you're good or not. And if you're good, he will come bring you presents. And sometimes that flows into this mentality that God has saved me because I am good, because I am worthy, because I deserve it. Listen, God sends Jesus not because you are good, but because he is good. Because he is good. And that's what they said in 2 Chronicles. They were praising him for his goodness and his steadfast love. The hope of Christmas and the gospel is that God came. He came in the midst of our rebellion against him. He came in the midst of our claims that we are smarter than he is. We are more capable than he is. We owe him nothing. And yet God responds not with worldwide destruction, but rather intervenes on our behalf for his glory. God is with us now. At this moment, God is with us. But hear me, God is also with us forever. I love, I love what Matthew does. He begins the gospel by focusing on this fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy that God is Emmanuel, God is with us. And how does he end the gospel? He ends it with what we call the Great Commission, go make disciples. But what does he say at the very end of that? And I am with you what? always to the very end of the age right God's not with us for a season or a period of time but he is with us forever and we will be with him forever through our faith in Jesus Christ God is with us now he is with us forever hear me church God is with us in life and he is also with us in death and that's why we don't have to fear death because he is with us he doesn't abandon us in that moment he is with us. God is with us in our triumphs. He is with us in our trials. One author said, what we need even more than deliverance from trouble is the sure knowledge that God is our Emmanuel in the midst of trouble. Some of you, BJ alluded to this in the Advent, right? You've lost a lot of things in 2020. You have gone through some trials You've been through some serious things in your life. And you're hoping, right, to turn the page and 2021 may be better. Church, 2021 may be worse. We don't know. And I can't promise you that your troubles are going to go away. And that's what some of us want. We just want them to go away. The greatest assurance that we have is not that our trials may go away, but that in the midst of that trial, you are never alone. God is with you. God is with us. Second thing I want you to notice, God in us. Jesus, when he's teaching his disciples, 
says this amazing statement. This is before he, he, he is killed. He says this to them. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. You're kidding me, right, Jesus? I mean, we've seen you do some of these incredible things. I think it's to our advantage that you hang around for a while. Like, we're just getting started, Jesus. Like, the world doesn't even know what, what's about to happen. You should stick around for a while. But he says, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. See, God is spirit. God is omnipresent. He is present everywhere. But when Jesus leaves heaven's glory and leaves all of that and he takes on flesh, Jesus is now confined like you and I to a specific location. So if Jesus is over here with Peter, James, and John, and the other disciples aren't, then they're with Jesus, but guess who's not? The other nine, because Jesus had a physical body. So what Jesus is saying to them is, listen, I'm going to leave, but when I leave, I'm going to send the helper, the counselor to you. We know he's going to send the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Church, hear me. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you have given your life to Jesus, and your confession is that He is Lord and Savior of your life, the Spirit of God now indwells you. Meditate on that today. That the Spirit of God, in all of God's power, it now indwells you. If God indwells you, you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to be changed. You can't help but live differently if the Spirit of God indwells you. God in us means sanctification. God in us means that sin that seems to master you through the Spirit of God in you, it can be overcome. Right, Whatever it is that is weighing you down this morning, the Spirit of God is in you. You have the comforter, the counselor right there with you. Everywhere you go, God dwells in you. God came to live with us so that we could live with Him and for Him. And it is the Spirit of God in us, church, that enables us to live for Him. So not only this Christmas season is God with us, but God is now in us through the Spirit of God. And one more thing I want you to notice. God is also for us. Yes, God is with us. He is Emmanuel. And yes, God is in us through the Holy Spirit. But God is also for us. Here's what the Scripture says. Old Testament. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Let me say that again. Our God is in the heavens, and He, our God, does all that He pleases. Church, this is ultimately about the glory of God. This is about the will of God. This is about the purposes of God. God is going to do, first and foremost, what pleases Him, not what pleases Aaron Hornsby. And yet, somehow, and I cannot even begin to fully grasp this, the God who is in the heavens, who is doing all that He pleases, is somehow working all things together for my good and for your good. This is who our God is. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I want you to turn there because I want you to see this for yourself. Because this baffles me. But yet I, I receive it by faith and I praise a good and gracious God for this. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? This is after verse 28 when he's already talked about how God works all things together for our good. What then shall we say to these things? If God is what? For us. You see that there? If God is for us, who can be against us? Church, God is for you because of his son, Jesus Christ. Some of us, we're just struggling with, does God really love me? Is God just dealing with me, just putting up with me. Not if you're in Christ, no. He has set His affections and His love upon you. He loves you. He is for you. This is what He has done. I came across a fascinating study 
just in the last couple of days. It was just released. It was a, a Gallup poll. Uh, the headline read this. Read this way. Americans' mental health ratings sink to new low. So apparently every year since 2001, Gallup has asked Americans as part of its November health and healthcare survey, every year they do this since 2001, to say whether they think their mental health or their emotional well-being is excellent, good, only fair, or poor. And every year in November they do this. And what they found is that this year they just did it in the middle of, of November. What they found is that those who say their mental health is excellent is at the lowest point that it's ever been. None of us are surprised by that. I mean, we're living in the midst of a pandemic with so much uncertainty. But here's what I did find fascinating. Now stick with me for a minute because I'm leading you somewhere. The rankings are divided into different demographic groups. And they looked at the percent that said their mental health was excellent. Excellent. They found gender, males, those from 2019 to 2020, it was down 8%. Those who said their mental health was excellent. Females was down 10%. They looked at party identification. Republicans, independents, and Democrats down a combined 27%. Mental health, people saying it was excellent. Race, white, down 10% from last year. Non-white, down 8%. Marital status, those who were married said that their mental health, those who said it was excellent, was down 8%. Not married, down 10%. They looked at age groups, 18 to 29-year-olds, it was down 9%. 30 to 49-year-olds, down 8%. 50 to 64, down 9%. 65 and older, down 10%. They looked at household income group, those who made under 40,000, down 6%. Those who made 40,000 to 99,999 was down 12%. If you made greater than 100,000, it was down 12%. This is where it got interesting to me. Then they looked at religious service attendance. Those who seldom and never uh, went to a religious service. Now this could be church, this could be some other things as well. Seldom to never went down 13%. If you went monthly or a couple times a month, it was down 12%. Have you noticed the pattern? Every demographic went down, every single one of them, except one. If you attended some religious service, weekly went up 4%. The only demographic that saw those who said their mental health was excellent that went up were those who attended a worship service or a religious service. So let me say this before I get to my main point. The church is essential. The church needs to be meeting. Mental health is affected. Now, there's ways we need to do it in, in safe environments. And, and we're, we're trying to do that, right? That's why I'm wearing a mask. That's why I wore a mask for five hours yesterday at Operation Christmas Child. Did I like it? No. But I know how fast this virus is spreading, right? So we're trying to be careful, but we need the church. We need to gather. But here's what I believe. I believe those who are faithfully gathering week after week after week, the reason that some mental health has gone up is because our hope is in Jesus. That's where it is. If you believe that God is with you, he is in you, and he is for you, that is going to drastically change the way you live your life. You are going to have the joy that Pastor BJ spoke of because you know those things. Now, let me also say this. I recognize that some of you this morning are struggling. You're struggling. If you're honest, mentally you're struggling. Emotionally you're struggling. You're wrestling with anxiety and depression and, and other things. I think that's another reason why we need the church. Because you don't have to suffer alone. If you're in a Sunday school class and you're struggling with depression or anxiety or just mentally you are exhausted, there are women or men in your class that you need to go to to say, hey, pray for me, encourage me, help me. 
You can see your deacon. You can see Pastor BJ or myself or Curtis. Right? You can see somebody to say, I'm struggling. I don't have that joy that I should have. Will you help me? And when we have the body of Christ, you have a safe place that you can come to and to share what's going on in your life. Look, church, when we understand that God is with us, in us, and for us, well, we're going to have hope, we're going to have peace, and we're going to have joy. So let me conclude with a quote by C.H. Spurgeon. I absolutely love this quote. He says, Emmanuel, God with us. It is hell's terror. Satan trembles at the sound of it. Let him come to you suddenly, and do you but whisper that word, God with us. Back he falls, confounded and confused. God with us is the laborer's strength. How could he preach the gospel? How could he bend his knees in prayer? How could the missionary, like the one we saw this morning, go into foreign lands? How could the martyr stand at the stake? How could the confessor own his master? How could men labor if that one word were taken away? God with us. And then he says, God with us is eternity's sonnet. It is heaven's hallelujah, the shout of the glorified, the song of the redeemed, the chorus of the angels. God with us. Church, that one word, Emmanuel, three words in the English, God with us changes everything. How has it changed your life? How has that changed your life? Would you close your eyes and bow your head? I just want to ask you a couple questions before I pray. Just give you a minute to, to think through these things. How has Jesus being Emmanuel, God with us, how has that changed you? How does that change you on a daily basis, a weekly basis? And have you trusted in that good news that God is now with us, that through His Son Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection, our repenting of our sin and our putting our faith in Jesus, that we now can know God, that God is with us? How has knowing that the Spirit of God indwells you, how has that changed you? Do you live with more power? Do you live with more confidence? Do you live with more freedom and more joy knowing that you are indwelt by God Himself, the Spirit of God? And how does knowing that God is for you, how does that change you? How does that, how does that impact us? Knowing that our God who's in the heavens and does all that he pleases, is actually working all things together for your good. Can you see that this morning? Look, I know some of you, you're hurting. You're in the midst of a season of grief and, and pain. And some of you are there at, at, at a state of depression, anxiety. You're overwhelmed. You're over it. You're tired. You're, you're afraid politically or whatever it may be. You're, you're nervous. But how does knowing that God is for you? How is that going to impact you when you leave here this morning, when you go throughout this week? Will it change you at all? I pray that it does. I pray that you and I, as we look to Jesus, will see that our peace and our hope and our joy comes from him. Fathers, we turn to you in prayer. Lord, you know. You know our hearts. You know our minds, you know our thoughts, you know our fears, you know our struggles, you know our sins. Father, you know those of us in this room, as you say to one of the churches, you know those of us who are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. You know, Father, as you say to another church in Revelation 2, you know those of us who have lost our first love. Those of us who have taken our eyes off of Jesus. And Father, you also, as you say to another church in Revelation, you know those of us who have the appearance of life, but who inwardly are dead. Spirit of God, only you can give us life. 
Only you can bring about that transformation that all of us so desperately long for. So do your work in us. And may we as your people who claim that God is with us, that God is in us, and that God is for us. May you compel your church and your people to live differently, but also to live boldly, proclaiming to everyone that we can in our circles of influence that this is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And that our hope is in you and you alone. Oh God, work through your church here at Northside your glory and your honor. And if there is anyone here today, Father, who is yet to call upon the name of Jesus, may they declare his name today and may they be saved. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Just a couple things I want to draw your attention to. I hope you'll join us on Sunday night, December 20th. Uh, we're going to have a, a, a family night of, of worship. We're going to do a, the candle lighting. We're going to have uh, communion, Lord's Supper together as well. And there's some drama. The choir is going to be singing. Um, and, and we're going to do some congregational singing. And so hopefully you can join us for that. Also want to draw your attention to this coming Saturday. Our men's ministry is hosting a campus cleanup day, uh, Saturday, December 19th at 9 a.m. Notice it says everyone. So it's not just men. Everyone is invited to come and to participate as we continue to kind of clean up our campus uh, a little bit. And so I want to encourage you uh, to come be a part of that. There are some other announcements. Our Awana Christmas store is going to be open tonight. Um, if you are not involved in a Sunday school, I want to encourage you to get involved. We, we meet at 915. We have a lot of different options for you to get involved in a Sunday school class. Well, it's been a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. If you'll stand, uh, my brother Larry Smitherman is the deacon of the week. He's going to come, and he's going to close us with a word of prayer. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, what a privilege it's been today to come out and to worship you. Praise you, Lord. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and the salvation that he offers to each of us, Lord. Thank you for your Holy Spirit and the, the, the guidance. Just pray that you would comfort us this week, lead and guide us, and forgive us, Lord, where we fail thee. We give you all the praise and all the glory. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.